Radiolab is supported by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. You're listening listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. See? Yep. All right, so tell us who you are. I am Nevi. And I'm Andrea, Nevi's mom. We are in Hopkinsville, Kentucky for the Great American Eclipse. We are about a minute to totality. Oh look, I can see it even when I'm even when it's not on. We can hear the cicadas. And we and look, I don't even have my sunglasses on. I and I can still. Well, you can't look at it without your sunglasses on. Look. You're just holding them up. Yeah. What do you see yeah. over this way? Is it looking dark? Yeah, it looks like a storm coming in. It does look like a storm coming in. Jupiter, where? Oh my God! Oh! Oh my God! Oh! I see nothing. Are you looking up? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh! Do you see the ring? Holy Toledo. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Oh my God, Stella, look. Look up there. Hey, I'm Jan Abumrad. I'm Robert Krolwich. This is Radio Lab. All right, so these last few weeks on planet Earth, on this corner of planet Earth, have been a little confusing. A little crazy. But then there was yesterday. We all got a reprieve. We just got a chance to look up. Look at that. Look! Look up at the sun. A couple hundred people sent us recordings from all over the place. I'm in Greeley, Colorado. Helen, Georgia. Nashville, Tennessee. Kenmore, Washington. Carbondale, Illinois. Sent us recordings of themselves watching the moon pass right in front of the sun. (laughs) That's the moon in front of the sun. The moon is blocking the sun. I see Venus! (gasps) Oh my god. That is wild. Now I gotta say, you hear these recordings and you can't help but think, I think we're gonna be alright. I can only see black. (laughs) Here, stand up. It's beautiful. Oh my god. So, in honor of this celestial miracle, today we're going to keep looking up, but not in the direction of the sun. Well, you know, when you look up at the sun, you have to put on these glasses to, to, to protect yourself from the sunshine. The sunshine is very powerful, and it, 
it stretches across vast, 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 vast distances in space. But what we're going to do at the end of the hour is we're going to leave the sunshine behind. We're actually going to escape the sunshine where humans have never been before. Right. And we're going to start with a story that I've been following pretty much my entire career at Radiolab. You kind of have to rewind back to 1977. I mean, that's not when I started following the story. That's when the story itself started. In August of 1977, NASA launched a spacecraft, and on the craft was a gold record. And the record carried a message. This was a message from us to them out there. Our story. Now, it was Carl Sagan. The cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be who led the team that made that record. And that team included, actually it was headed by, a woman named Ann Druyan. And about 10 years ago, I spoke with Annie and uh, we made this story that you're about to hear. I visited Annie at her home in Ithaca, New York, and we sat in the backyard near a waterfall, in the same spot, she says, where Carl himself would sit, and become so absorbed in what he was reading that he would not notice a deer standing right next to him. My name is Annie Drian. And um, I was honored to be the creative director of the Voyager Interstellar Message Project, which began in early 1977. Now, how did this come about? I think about the project now, and it's so exciting to think about. I mean, it's such a romantic idea. Did you know that at the time? Absolutely. We felt, first of all, that this was a kind of sacred trust that here we were, half a dozen very flawed human beings with uh, huge, uh, uh, huge holes in our knowledge of all of these subjects, building a cultural Noah's Ark. It was a chance to tell something of what life on Earth was like to beings of perhaps a thousand million years from now because the, the Voyager engineers were saying this record will have a shelf life of a billion years. If that didn't raise goosebumps, then you'd have to be made of wood. <laughs> uh, it was also the, 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 the season that Carl Sagan and I fell so madly in love with each other. And here we were taking on this mythic challenge and knowing that before it was done, two spacecraft would lift off from the planet Earth, moving at an average speed of 35,000 miles an hour for the next thousand million years. And on it would be a kiss, a mother's first words to her newborn baby. Oh, come on now. Mozart. Bach. Beethoven. Greetings in the 59 most populous human languages. Shalom. Hello from the children of planet Earth. As well as one non-human language, the readings of the humpback whales. And it was a sacred undertaking because it was saying, we want to be citizens of the cosmos. We want you to know about us. Tell me about the moment you fell in love with Carl Sagan. You said it was during the Voyager compilation. Yes, it was. It was on June 1st, 1977. I had been looking for some time for that piece of Chinese music that we could put on the Voyager record and not feel like idiots for having done so. 
and um, I was very excited because I'd finally found a ethnomusicologist composer at Columbia University who told me without a moment's hesitation that this piece, Flowing Streams, which was represented to me as one of the oldest pieces of, of Chinese music, 2,500 years old, was the piece we should put on the record. So I uh, called Carl, who was traveling. He was in Tucson, Arizona, giving a talk. And um, we had been alone many times during the making of the record and as friends for three years. And neither of us had ever uh, said anything to the other. We were both involved with other people. We'd had these wonderful, soaring conversations, but we had both been completely just professional about everything and his friends. And uh, he wasn't there, left a message. Hour later, phone rings, pick up the phone, and I hear this wonderful voice. And he said, I get back to my hotel room and I find this message and it says, Annie called. And I say to myself, why didn't you leave me this message 10 years ago? And my heart completely skipped a beat. I can still remember it so perfectly. And I said, for keeps? And he said, you mean get married? And I said, yes. And we had never kissed. We had never, you know, even had any kind of personal discussion before. We both hung up the phone and I just screamed out loud. I remember it so well because it was this great eureka moment. It was just like a scientific discovery. And then the phone rang and I was thinking, oh, you know, like, and uh, the phone rang and it was Carl and he said, I just want to make sure that really happened. We're getting married, right? And I said, yeah, we're getting married. He said, okay, just wanted to make sure. And, um, spacecraft lifted off on August 20th and August 22nd we told everyone involved and we were together from that moment until his death in 1996 in December. Wow, talk about romantic, my it was God. so romantic and part of my feeling about Voyager obviously and part of what I was feeling in the recording of my brain waves, my heart, my eyes, everything in that meditation on the record. I had asked Carl whether or not it would be possible to compress the impulses in one's brain and nervous system into sound and then put that sound on the record and then think that perhaps the extraterrestrials of the future would be able to reconstitute that data into thought. And he looked at me and beautiful May day in New York City and said, well, you know, a thousand million years is a long time, you know, why don't you go do it? Uh, because who knows, you know, who knows what's possible in a thousand million years? And so um, my brainwaves and REM, every little sound that my body was making was recorded at Bellevue Hospital in New York. This was two days after Carl and I declared our love for each other and so what I often think is that maybe a hundred million years from now you know somebody flags that record down and I always wonder because part of what I was thinking in this meditation was about the wonder of love and of being in love and to know it's on those two spacecraft even now in my whenever I'm down you know I'm thinking 
and still they move 35,000 miles an hour, leaving our solar system for the great wide open sea of interstellar space. Billions of years from now, the sun will have reduced this planet to a charred, ashy ball. But that record with androids, brainwaves, and heartbeat on it will still be out there, somewhere intact, in some remote region of the Milky Way, preserving a murmur of an ancient civilization that once flourished on a distant planet. So that's how we ended the original story uh, with that quote from Carl Sagan. Uh, and um, it happens to be actually the 40th anniversary of the Voyager probe's launch. I mean, we're sort of in between the two dates where Probe 1 and Probe 2 were launched. And so we were thinking about the anniversary, and uh, our producer Amanda Ronchek called up Androyan again, and they got to talking about the fact that we still, scientists are still talking to those probes. That's the thing that gets me. Here we are 40 years later. And Voyager 1, we're still in contact with Voyager 1. We still know where Voyager 1 and 2 are. We were able to build something so well that with the energy, which is essentially more feeble than the energy in a toaster, we can communicate with Voyager as she leaves to wander the Milky Way galaxy intact, With the message intact, well, those same engineers said it would work for a dozen years. It's 40 years, and it's still working. So coming up, we're going to ask, where are they actually? Where specifically are those two probes now? And the answer is, they're in a very, very, very undiscovered place. I mean, they are learning things that we have never known. Hey, this is Becca. I'm calling from Dallas, Texas to let you know that Radiolab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Radiolab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited-time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by Z-Biotics. 
If you've been looking for some help waking up refreshed after a fun night out, Zbiotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is here to help. Zbiotics is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. This probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow, as it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com slash Radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use Radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com slash Radiolab and use the code Radiolab at checkout for 15% off. For so many Black people, the whiz feels like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing, and as it gears up for a national tour, we'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to the Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab. And now we're going to ask, where are those Voyager probes like right now? I mean, again, this is a story we've been following forever. And about five years ago, producer Lynn Levy began to ask herself that question. Where are they? Because at that point, news was starting to bubble up that the, that the Voyager probes were about to tiptoe their way across a truly amazing Threshold, And at that moment, it wasn't completely clear what was happening. So, so here's what we reported then. We're going to break in at a certain point and update things even further. But Lynn began this story where the last one left off. Okay, so like in the point of the mission wasn't really to deliver this record. It was to go out and look at all the planets in the outer solar system. Mm-hmm. So starting in 1977, these two little spaceships, two spacecraft, Voyager 1 and 2, went racing away from Earth snapping pictures. And so every time Voyager would reach another planet, you know, all of the Voyager people would get together, go into the imaging room and see the pictures come from the outer solar system. Do you remember seeing them? I remember as a child seeing Life magazine. You know, I was seven when Voyager was launched, so. This is Merav. I'm Merav Ofer, professor at uh, Boston University. As a grown-up, she became part of the Voyager team. All the pictures that, you know, as a kid, you look at the books and to see what, how Neptune looked, how Jupiter looked. You know, just complete revelation. Saturn. The image of Saturn. Technicolor. Like pink and like reddish. Turquoise color. Yellow. And, and those rings just spectacular. They could see active volcanoes on one of the moons of Jupiter. Finally, that vision of Neptune, uh, this, like, blue jewel. Really blue. It all came from Voyager. We had no idea how they looked like before Voyager. Neptune was the last big, cool planet, and it was the last thing they were supposed to photograph. After that, the cameras were going to be shut off to save energy. But... Carl Sagan convinced them to turn Voyager back to Earth and take a final picture. So on Valentine's Day, 1990, uh, one of the ships slowly rotated so it was facing back to Earth. And it snapped a picture. One last picture. Describe it. So it's mostly empty. Um, it's, it's pretty dark. 
you can see sort of streaks of light coming from the sun. And then you honestly wouldn't notice it if it wasn't pointed out to you. But down in one corner, kind of uh, suspended in a sunbeam, there is a very small dot, blue, a pale blue dot. That was us. In Carl Sagan's words, everyone you ever knew, everyone you ever loved, every superstar, every corrupt politician, just everyone in all of history, everything, the sum total. Think of the rivers of blood that have run so that one indistinguishable group could have momentary domination over a fraction of that pixel. It was one of those really rare images. Every single day I hear from people who take that pale blue dot so deeply to heart. It was a, it was a complete reframing. After that, the cameras were turned off. But here's the thing. The ships kept going. 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 Drifting through the darkness. Going. 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 Even though they weren't taking pictures anymore, they were using like their other senses, little instruments that detect like how many particles are around, what the temperature is. So they were hurtling through this empty space really fast, measuring, sending that data back. And scientists like Merav were there listening and waiting. For what? was not clear. But they knew at some point these capsules would get to the edge. The edge of what? The solar system. The solar system has an edge? I thought it was just a big spiral. It has an edge. It's, a, it's like a bubble. Huh. See, the, the sun has a wind. Every star has a wind, but the sun has its own wind. That blows out through the solar system. It's very fast. It can be between uh, 400 to 800 kilometers per second. Anyway, it blows out from the sun, past all the planets, and uh, it keeps everything else out. Oh, so it's like blowing up a balloon. Yeah, exactly. The wind gives it a shape. Right. So these little things are cruising out towards this edge, wherever it is. Scientists don't quite know where it is or what it is. The guys in the control room are like pinging the ships. and like, hey, what's, what's up? What do you see? And the ships are like, nothing. Well, how about now? Not much. No? Nothing. And how long before they actually see something? 14 years. Oh, man, that's like driving through Kansas, but like a million times worse. But there comes a day, end of 2004, where they've stopped listening for a little while because the antenna, NASA only has so many antennas and they have to use them to listen to everything. Mm -hmm. So for a little while, the Voyager team's like, okay, you guys over there can use the antennas. We're going to lunch. Yeah, I mean, it's not like anything's happening. Nothing's happening anyway. It's been 14 goddamn years. Knock yourself out. You guys, it's cool. And they come back a few hours later, start listening again. And it's, it's happened very sudden. Everything is totally changed. All of a sudden, boom, the speed of the wind dropped from around 380 kilometers per second to 100. Instantly, uh, like just all at instantly. once. Instantly. And then everything out there started to get messy. Very turbulent. Much more turbulent than before. Particles are also um, behaving in a very different way. And the fields are very um, weird. The fields? The magnetic field. So just like the sun has a wind... The sun has a magnetic field as well. The field starts at the sun and then curves out in this kind of graceful arc through the solar system. And the, how the sun rotates create what people call ballerina skirt. 
You know how like a skirt will flare if you spin around real fast? Uh-huh. That's apparently kind of what this field looks like. Huh. But way out there, it seemed like the skirt had started to fray. Maybe tear a little. Threads had broken off and seemed to be floating around on their own, not connected to anything. So what does this all mean? I mean, if the fields are breaking down and the wind is dying down, and you said the wind is what actually creates the space of the solar system, does this mean we're out? No. I kind of thought that was what was happening, but no. It's not out, and it's not quite in. It's in the edge of the bubble. It's in the edge. Yeah, but it's not like um, not like a little thin edge. It's a it's a thick thick edge. Huh. So the edge isn't just a little line that you cross. It's a place. Yeah, and while we listened, the two Voyager ships moved through this edge for several years. Then something very interesting happened. Um, that the wind on Voyager One stopped. Like completely stopped. Yeah. So now we're out? No. No. I mean... This is what people thought. But the other measurements... Like temperature, number of particles, the magnetic field... Doesn't tell us that we are out of the bubble. Nature surprised us again. So now we think there's a place at the edge of our solar system. Right, at the edge. The edge of the edge. That's utterly still. No wind at all. A pause. People are calling it a stagnation layer. And there is a big discussion why this layer exists and how thick it is. And by how thick it is, she means, when will it end? Because once we get past this... So has anything ever crossed this boundary before? No. This will be the first man-made object to leave any star. (laughs) And uh, Voyager is like right there, smelling, touching that boundary. You know, you only do those things first once. Like your first kiss, your first taste of alcohol, your first time driving a car, the first time you see the ocean. These things open up a whole new world. First time out of the solar system. So when is it going to freaking happen? It might have happened while we were talking. Yeah. We're thinking from now, any moment now, next couple of months, or three years from now, four years from now. It's close. Every day I open my Google alert for Voyager and I look and see, did it happen today? Do you Because if really? it happens before the show goes out, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Every day? Yeah. It's the first thing you do in the morning? No. All right, good. Like the third thing. Okay, so when uh, producer Lynn Levy left that story, at that point five years ago, it seemed like the Voyager probes were in this weird liminal space kind of stuck somewhere in the edge of the edge of our planetary neighborhood and that the out moment that transition moment could happen at any time that's where we left it which seemed honestly kind of frustrating like we did the story too soon you know like that happens every so often so we decided to call Marav Ofer back she's a scientist you heard in the story who is part of the Voyager team and we asked her to to pick up the story, like what happened. Okay, so since then we were waiting, right? Right. And this story is, is fascinating and a little complicated too because this was back in 2012, right? She says shortly after our story was released. A couple of months later, so it was in August, around August 2012. About six months after our story. The particles, this was fascinating, the energetic particles from the sun 
um, dropped. So some people thought, oh, no sun particles, that must mean we're out. But a couple of days later, they came back. Huh. And then there was the same intensity as before, and then they dropped again. It's almost felt that somebody had opened a window and then closed the window, and then opened a window and closed the window. Oh, wow. So it was kind of weird. That is weird. You expect the classic crossing. It should be sudden. Mm-hmm. It should be, or you're in or you're out. Yeah. You don't have this intermediate, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. <laughs> I know. And so, so this was not the classic textbook and was very like, uh, what's going on? And there was very heated discussions because, you know, you're waiting to say to the public, are we really cross the solar system for the first time or not? And we cannot say. That must have been frustrating. Super frustrating. And she says scientists started arguing. I mean, there was a bunch of uh, conferences and meetings where they got together, and the scientists essentially broke into factions. Like, you had one faction that was like, we are out. Another faction was like, no, no, we're in. And she says at one of those meetings. There was a vote. Are we in or are we out? And, 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 I, and I just felt this is crazy. This is such a major milestone. Know, it's like, you, you know. vote on it. It has nothing to do with exactly. us. Exactly. It was almost like Christoph Columbus, right? Did we really arrive to America's vote? <laughs> and it was just crazy. But she says they did vote. And the vote was still we're inside. So towards the end of 2012, that's what they thought. We're still in. But... Something changed, and, and the something is the sound we were hearing. Around the time of these arguments, the Voyager was sending back sound. The Voyager doesn't have a lot of energy on board, right? So they have a tape recorder. So Wait, there's a tape recorder? Really? Yes. I think it's an A-track. What? Like yeah. an A-track, A-track? Jad, I think. It turns out it's true. There, there are eight tracks on both of the probes that are capturing ultra-low-frequency plasma waves. Two to three kilohertz. Which you can actually hear. Now that whoosh... That is just the background of the power supply. That's just the sound of the Voyager itself idling, basically cruising through empty space. But she says when you listen to the following recording, this what you're about to hear is eight months of time, from late 2012 into 2013, eight months, collapsed into a tiny clip. What you hear are these little swells. Like there's one. There's another. You have those ramps. Now this part gets kind of confusing, but essentially Marav says those swells, that's the Voyager spacecraft colliding with some new galactic stuff. So you're hearing... There is a ramp of density as you go into the interstellar space. I had thought that those sounds, one of those two sounds, is the Voyager bursting out of our solar system, but she told me... No, no. What it is, is the sound of the Voyager already on the other side. It's the Voyager basically saying, I'm in a new space now. And after some analysis, and this part I cannot explain, uh, NASA pinpointed the ejection moment, the crossover moment, to just before the first of those two swells. So if this is the first swell, it's just before that. Maybe right there. Like right there. That's when we left. It's so undramatic. (laughs) But we finally escaped. 
Official exit date? 25th of August of 2012. So now we have a human manufacture that has left the sphere of the sun. That's on the other side, in the other ocean. Yeah. It's like I'm, I'm, I don't know, it's a bittersweet to, to see all this incredible data that Voyager is giving us. And I want more. I would like another mission there. Yeah. It's almost like somebody give you like a taste. Look how interesting this data is. And whoop, they're leaving. Speaking of leaving, Marav says that we can expect to communicate with the Voyager probes for about another eight to ten years. But then... Eventually, they will lose power and go dark. It's recording. What time is it? It's 11.33. <gasps> one more like minute. One minute. We're getting close. <laughs> it's getting so dark. Just a sliver of a sliver left. 30 seconds. <laughs> it's getting dark. It's okay. Whoa. Oh, look at all the, the lights are turning on. Yeah. The street lights have turned on. We are about 10 seconds from total eclipse. Oh, there it goes. Oh my god! Wow, it's almost gone! Look at that. Look! Look up at the sun! Emma, look up! What the? <gasps> That's it! Look! Look! We've hit total eclipse! Oh my god! Ah. Wow! I can see the corona! Oh my god, look at it! Oh my god! Oh my god, it's incredible! <laughs> oh my... I'm crying! This big black dot in the middle of the sky with white halos coming from it. <laughs> oh my goodness. The stars! Look at the... Look at the stars, Max. Look how beautiful that is. Look at all the stars. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. Thank you to everybody who sent in their recordings. Big thanks to producer Lynn Levy, scientist Marav Ofer, Amanda Aronchek for producing this update, and Annie Dorian. To play the message, press 2. I am Mirav Osa, Professor of Astronomy of Boston University. Radio Lab was created by Jada Bumad and is produced by Soren Wheeler. Dylan Keith is our Director of Sound Design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, David Geber, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kidley, Robert Corwich, Annie McQueen, Latif Nasser, Melissa O'Donnell, Ariane Wark, and Molly Webster. With help from Rebecca Shason, Nigel Fatali, Phoebe Wang and Katie Ferguson. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris. End of message.